Joining us on a priceless perspective. I'm your hostess, Nicole Steele, and joining us today is Ms. Janetta McSwain, author, Emmy Award winning documentarian, and international speaker extraordinaire. Having survived brutal childhood abuse and a life of self destruction, Ms. McSwain went from GED to PhD candidate and now uses her unique gift of combining wit and wisdom to inspire and empower women and girls across the globe with a message of hope. Welcome to the show, Janetta. Well, thank you, Miss Nicole. I'm so happy to be here today. Well, we are delighted to have you join us. I've had a chance to get to know you over the past years, and learning of your strength and your resilience is something that I think that all of our listeners can be inspired by. I know that you recently wrote a book. You've got an autobiography called Rising Above the Scars, which was turned into an Emmy Award-winning documentary. And in that, you share candidly the details of the vicious abuse that you and others in your family endured at the hands of people who should have protected you. But it also tells of how you rose above every stereotype and you beat the odds, narrowly escaping poverty, self-destruction, prison, drug abuse, and even death. Can you share from your own words what it was like growing up in Birmingham, Alabama as a young girl? Oh, my goodness. It was horrific, absolutely horrific. Uh, wait, just waking up in the morning was a problem, you know, just being beaten and uh, whipped and clothes ravished off of you, you know, and um, being told constantly you're ugly, you're nothing, you're nobody, never wish I had you. You know, those words from my mother was just constant, a reminder of I, I wasn't wanted. And just being born in a family of child molesters and rapists and drug addicts, murderers, high school dropouts, you know, the welfare, just poverty, and just that cycle of abuse from my mother down to my sister and I and my male cousin. From 5 to 10, the sexual abuse by the uncles, the verbal abuse by my mother. My mother was very violent, you know, watched her cut a man's throat and, you know, shoot a man and burn a man. So it was just horrific on every level. Even going to school, you know, as a little girl with my face swollen and my neck swollen from being choked and punched and beaten, I was let down, basically. What I mean by that, the system failed me. You know, I feel like the school, nobody nobody saved me. Uh, I grew up uh, in my adolescent years. I started stealing panties and bras just to have clean panties, just to have a bra, just to have a pair of shoes. 
I just became a young adolescent. I dropped out of high school, and met the first man came along and told me I was pretty, you know, I was fine, and had a baby at 19, and just started a life of clubbing and hanging out in the streets and in the dope house and cutting up dope, selling dope, had a gun, just a crazy mess. Really, really was. But I was a part of my family generation. I was a product of the environment that I lived in and that I I slept in, that I grew up in. And not having a family that said to me, you know, you're beautiful. I never got a hug from my mother. I never was told I love you. You know, I never had a Barbie doll, you know, birthday cake. So I didn't know what love was, how to even find it, you know, so just became a product of what was around me and um, went to jail for stealing a few times, you name it, had another baby at 26, no baby daddy, and woke up at 30 years old and just looked in the mirror at myself, Nicole, and say, you know what, something is wrong, something is wrong with this picture. I mean, I just, it, I realized I had epiphany that every man in my family had abused me, had, had touched me, had molested me. And that every woman, like my mother and my aunties, who's supposed to have been protecting me, like you said, didn't. And I looked at my two boys. They were 12 and 5 at the time. And, oh, my goodness, thank God for the kiss of me. And I knew I had to do something to save their life. I knew I had to do something to change my life and to change my environment. I just felt like there was an urgency for me to run for my life, for me to change my life. And I packed up my house, drove here to Atlanta two, twice in one night, and it's been 11 years, and I haven't looked back. And here I am, one year from being Dr. Janetta McSwain. So it's been a journey. It's been rough, <laughs> but it's been it's been wonderful. Just starting over. And, I, you know, when you asked me earlier, we talked earlier, what do you want people to know? It's that it's never too late to start over, Nicole. It's never too late to Love yourself. I had to learn how to love myself at 35 years old, literally. I'm talking about wake up in the mirror and say you're beautiful every day to yourself. Look beyond all of my physical scars, and you've seen me. I have physical scars all over my body. And just to look beyond those physical scars and see the real beauty that God made me, to see that real butterfly, that real swan, and to even just start loving myself, appreciating myself, finding the beauty within me as a woman. You know, I had to learn how to love my body. I had to learn how to look at my body different and realize that it was beautiful, that it wasn't ugly uh, piece of luggage that was lugging around, that it was beautiful, and that's how God wanted it. So getting my essence back as a lady, reclaiming my life, taking back what was taken from me, forgiving my perpetrators, forgiving my mother. It's just been an 11-year journey, and I'm just so grateful of my calling that I'm doing what I'm doing in such a way I'm doing it. So I know I made a long story. And you know what, Nicole? I'm so grateful for my life. I wouldn't change one thing about it. It has made me be the wonder woman that I wanted to be when I was a little girl. <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah. You, talk yeah. about, you talk about that in your book. I want to I want to pause for a minute and talk about forgiveness because you mentioned you had to forgive the perpetrators all of those men in your family you had to forgive your mother where do you think you would be had you had you held on to all that unforgiveness and bitterness do you think that you would be where you are right now I I think I would definitely 
be unhealthy. And when I mean unhealthy, I mean holistically, spiritual, physically, mentally. I think I'll be like my sister who, you know, when you watch the documentary, you see the anger. You know, she's paranoid, schizophrenia, she's HIV positive, she's suicidal. I think I'll be full of all that anger and rage, and it's cancerous. And I won't be any good to myself, to my two boys, to to, to the young ladies and the young girls that I touch and I talk to. I won't be any good to anybody. But I think what it was for me was forgiving for me. Forgiveness is not for the other person. It's for us. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not saying that I, I, will, that I forget because you can never forget the abuse. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I nail my uncles on top of me. I can feel the stitching cords. I can feel my clothes being ripped off of me. You know, I can feel the pain of all of that. I really can. I really can. And so, and I still feel the hurt of not having a mother, you know, to love me in, at 43. However, I refuse to die. I refuse to internalize what someone else can give me because they can love me. And that's yeah. so powerful. And I'm, I hope the people that are listening will understand that what you said was so powerful. Forgiveness is about you, and it's not so much about the other person. It helps to set you free. Mm-hmm. And so I think that you're a living, breathing example of the power of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You also talked about packing up, moving, once you had that epiphany and once you said, okay, you know, there's more to life. i got to make a change. Mm-hmm. So many people come to that place and they know there's got to be more in life. They know I've got to stop doing what I have been doing or I'm going to keep mm-hmm. getting what I've been getting. But fear paralyzes them. Mm-hmm. But despite the fear, you overcame that. You took a big leap of faith. You left everything behind in search of something better. Can you talk a little bit about what it took for you to make that big step, to pack up your family, to move to a place? Because you didn't know anybody here in Georgia, did you? Well, I had a best friend had moved here, but, you know, I had never been outside the state of Alabama. I've never seen anything else but Alabama. And a lot of times, you know, Nicole, you don't know how to see anything else if if you've never seen it. You know what I mean? So what it took for me was to look at my boys, get my baby boys in their room sleeping at 30 years old, was to look at that Section 8 house, was to look in that mirror and see, see who I really was, and it was not a pretty sight. It was an ugly sight. It was not pretty. But to take a denial away from everything and to take accountability, take responsibility of where I was in my life at 30, I didn't blame anyone. I didn't blame the abuse. I didn't blame my mother. I looked at myself, and I said, oh, my God, I am a wretch. I am a wretch. And I am uneducated. I I have no husband. I think I'm cute. You know, I'm I'm out of control. I don't have anything. And the fear of waking up at 40, like I did at 30, it was gut-watching for me. It really was. And to look at my two boys, Nicole, and to imagine either one of them in a jail cell raping somebody, their child, another family member, just taking up demons into another generation, I couldn't, couldn't. Do you hear me? 
I could not allow my two boys to grow up and be disappointed of their mama. I know I owed them so much. They didn't ask to be here, and I got up. After I got through crying and feeling sorry for myself and blowing snot bubbles, and I got my butt up, you know, and I said, I'm leaving. And I did, that was it. I did What I had to lose, Nicole, what, what was I leaving? Right. I had already failed. I had already mastered poverty. You, you know, I had mastered the streets and mastered poverty. So I had a good chance of mastering, you know, success. That's the way I saw it. And I packed up and threw almost everything away and got the biggest truck you can find, hit I-20, came here with, with that, two boys, a truck, a 10th grade education, a GED, three years old, Kennesaw State, and uh, here I am, 43, uh, still in college, <laughs> and that wanted to be the first doctor in my family. Tell my two, two boys that, uh, you know what, we come from a family that said you can't. I'm here to tell you, yes, you can. That's right. You made a decision to break the cycle, and I know your book is really focused a lot on identifying and breaking cycles, and I know that you speak all over the world about that. And it, it doesn't matter how you started. It really doesn't. It's all about how you finish. Yes. And so you are, again, a living, breathing example of that. Now, I know that God has placed some people in your life who really helped to push you and to provide support along the way, some mentors, some teachers, mm -hmm. just different people. Did you mm -hmm. find it difficult initially to accept help and encouragement? No, I didn't. I've always been an outgoing person. I always loved people. I've always been funny, so I've always been... Uh, I always been I also attracted people, so I've always had people around me. But what I didn't know is how does a mentor look? Nobody teaches us that. We don't know, you know, how does it look. But I was ready, even though I didn't know I was ready. When I got here, I was ready. I was ready for change. I was ready for something new. I was ready for for someone to to guide me to help me because you got to know you need help and you got to ask for it. So at that point. I had already said, okay, God, I need that person, you know, that positive person. That, and I met my co Dr. Kozak when I started Crockett Atlanta, and, you know, she just became friends, and we started talking. I shared my views with her, and she just said, you know what, you have a story. And she helped me develop who I was, my message, and say, write your story in the workshop, and I wrote it to 12 steps. And she just pushed me in, in, in along the way, and so I'm great that I even was ready to accept her. She's a white Jewish woman. Look at me. I'm a black woman from the hood. And what she know about me? <laughs> and so um, I think um, it was it was God's calling. He he was ready for me. So at that point, it was him. You know, it was no more of me. It was, you know, he, this was God's plan. And Steve Harvey said all the time, once you let God do his plan and put yours aside, Woo! Won't he work it out? Yes, he will. Yes, And he so, will. no, it wasn't hard for me to accept, you know, help and, you know, open up my heart and open up my doors. And, and, and I tell people all the time, you know, my tour step and my what's the plan, my culture, you know, ask for help. Right. If you don't ask, you don't get anything. And you know what they say, a closed mouth don't get fed. That's right. <laughs> And that's one thing I really admire about you, that you do ask for help. So many people will admire from afar or will see people, will 
will want to connect with people but will stand back, will wait for the other person to take the step. And and one thing I can say about you, just watching you, just, you know, getting to know you over the last year or two, is nobody's a stranger. You know, you, you want to learn. Being a person who always wants to learn from whoever is such an art and a gift, and I wish that young people would really, really tune into that. There are so many resources around us. We live mm-hmm. not only in the, you know, in a technological society where there's information at our fingertips, but so so many times there are people all around us. For them, they're counselors, they're teachers, yeah. they're mentors, coaches, Bible mm-hmm. school people, you know, your parents, your, all of these people and all of this wisdom that just mm-hmm. goes untapped. But it's about, like you said, opening up our mouths. And, and ask- all that seems like work, you know, not to cut you off. One thing I've learned in this field, I'm sure you have, all of that sounds good. See, that's my favorite quote. I think I'm going to do something with that term. It sounds great, but when it consists of work, Nicole, when it, com- right. when it consists of blood, sweat, and tears, and paying your dues, that's where people get stuck at. Right. I'm always asked, no matter where I go, how do you stay focused? That's a big question for me. How how do you stay committed? You know, how have you been in school nine years? You know, people are like, wow, you know, what drives you every day? People see me two years later and say, wow, you know, you're still speaking, you know, you're still going. How did you get all around the world? What is it about you? And I say, Determination and my favorite ain't no traffic on the extra mile. It's just there's just no traffic out there. But the biggest thing that I know that I know that I know, if you don't have the passion, you can't do this kind of work. Right. This is beyond a paycheck. That's right. I'm serious. This is this is this is the work you do when you stand up and you hold a sign up, say we we'll work the food. This is the kind of work this is, and you're going to lose. So if you're not ready to lose the people that look, because everybody's not going to see your vision. You know, my husband and I separated because he was like, okay, when are you going to get a real job, you know? You know, and he just couldn't see the vision. So, you know, this is this is, this is a cross that you have to bear. It, it is a, everybody's not going to like your message. My message is real. It's raw. It's unrated. It's unscripted. I don't like my keynotes, you know, I don't write what I'm going to say. I get the mic and I say it, and it's raw, and it's abuse, and it's rawness. And a lot of people say, whoa, you know, you need a disclaimer. And you know what I say? Abuse is ugly. How can we keep dressing this up, Nicole? This is an epidemic, and this is global. Global. That's not a country that I go to, from Japan to Bermuda to Cayman. Now I'm on my way to Korea, to St. Lucia's, to Grenada. That's not a country I've been to. That's not a race, ethnicity that I have met has not experienced abuse. And it's, it's just heart-boggling to me. And the silence and the shame that keeps us crippled as the victims. That's my job, for us to break that so that we can live again, so that we can rise. And that's what the book is about. It's about rising above the scars. It's about, I didn't say that you're there, but it's that rising. It's that, you know what, I have scars. I've been a prostitute. I had a baby daddy. I had a disease. You know, I ran away from my young girls out there. You know, I made some bad choices. I dropped out of school. You know what I'm saying? I'm in the projects. I'm this, I'm that. 
But you know what? That book is for you, honey. For you, you, and you, all the Janettas, all the big Janettas, all the teenage Janettas. That book is to say, you know what? You can still rise above it. That's what it's about. That's what the whole message that you and I do is about. And and you still can be a lady, a lady. And I mean, hold your head up, sister, and be the lady that you want to be. Yes, it is. I can't tell you every day I wake up in the, every day I wake up in the cold is sunshine. Every day is sunshine for me. Even when the clouds out, girl, and the storm comes, it's sunshine. I'm so grateful that I'm able to love Janetta and to even feel that after all that abuse that happened to me. And you know what, girl? It's just beginning. I'm, I'm gonna do this until they put, y'all put the dirt on me. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be done. Don't you agree? Yeah. I do, I do. And I think when you talk about passion and purpose, that's what it's about. I mean, we've heard the term many times before about our test becoming our testimony or our mess becoming our message. And each one of us, everybody listening to this show, everybody that you talk to around the globe, everybody that comes in and through Diamond in the Rough, God has a plan and a purpose for their life. And until Mm -hmm. they tap into that, like you said, you just – you know, you'll it, you'll be unfulfilled, whatever that looks like. For us, we found it. It's it's empowering young young women and oh, girls. Yeah. And but for the next person, it may be something else. But it's so important to to tap into that and to find out what that is, mm-hmm. and to persist, to press because it's it's the hardest work. Is it not the hardest work in the world Ooh, doing what you that? do? <laughs> you know, I have to say, I think the hardest part about what I do is the aftermath. Is you know, when I come down from the stage and I see that woman, you know, her eyes meet my eyes. And I know she's been hurt because this is not about abuse. It's about, you know, like I said, self-love. It's about taking your life back. It's about Hope, turning hopelessness into hope and worthlessness into worth and building that self-worth. And so when I see that woman, when I meet her eyes, oh, she come up to me and she cry on my shoulder, she whisper in my ear, that's my story. And that, oh, that young girl who, when they're watching my documentary and I hear people bursting out into tears just watching the documentary, when I see men from all colors, you know, here, when I see tears come out men's face when they watch the documentary, when people say, oh, my God, you know, how did you do it? That's what the hardest part is, going to your room and taking that back with you. Did I do all I could do? Did I say all I could say? Did I touch somebody's life? Will somebody go home and change it? Will somebody go home and take their babies out their room with that man? Will that mother go in that room and stop that man from being on top of her little girl because she wants that man? Well, did she go back to school? Will she get her life back? Will she leave that abusive man? Will she not take another black eye? Will she not lay down and die? That's what the hardest part is, Nicole, mm-hmm. is going back in that room and taking it with you and being able to terminate that, release that. It's hard to do. Sometimes it's not, but it usually is. And it's always that little young girl that gets to me. And watching those young girls literally cry, Begging me not to leave their schools, begging me not to leave them. That was hard. That was hard. Yeah. Right. And a little so girl, much. 15 years old, looked me in my face, 15 years old and pregnant. And she said to me, You're going back to Atlanta to your suburban neighborhood. You're going back to Atlanta. Tonight, I'm going on the street to prostitute. And I may not even live. 
that was the hardest thing I had to hear somebody tell me in my face because that's true. I am going back home tonight to my suburban neighborhood, to my suburban home, and what are we going to do about her? So don't come tell me you care about me, you love. So you ask me the question, that's the answer. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a dog. It's, it's hard to cope with sometimes. That's why you got to be holistically, <laughs> you know, mentally and spiritually around good people, you know, and stay positive and have, like you said, the spirituality in your life because you got to have it for this job. You really do. You do. And it's about getting in the mirror and being honest with ourselves. It calls mm-hmm. for us to analyze the people around us. I know you talk about having to cut some people off and end old habits as you mm-hmm. begin to pursue a better life. Yeah. It calls for doing that hard work that you talk about. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just about having a dream, but what are you going to do? You're going to roll your sleeves up. You're going to make it happen. That's what we all have to do, no matter yes, what do. our what our stories are. It's, it's not that it's going to be an ease. We have to do our part. Mm-hmm. And so can you tell our listeners how they can purchase your book and contact you if they're looking for speakers for upcoming events? Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, my website will be up in about two weeks uh, every few years I have to stop, uh, go back in, reconstruct, re, you know, reevaluate where I am in my life, in my career. I believe in that. I don't believe a year going by and you haven't uh, accomplished anything. So that's what's going on now. So Janetta McSwain will be more fiercer than you ever have seen her on this website, and um, she's just, I'm just excited about it. So uh, you can got, you can get the book at Amazon.com. Uh, most people go on my website and order because I – at that point, I can sign it or I can put a special, whatever they want me to write in. But you can always go to Amazon. The book is fifteen ninety nine. You can always go to Amazon and put in Janetta Max Wayne or Rising Bubble Scars, and, um, and you can buy it. As far as contacting me, you can always go to Janetta Clay. You can email me, shoot me a personal email until the site comes back up. But that's J-O-H-N-N-D-T-T-A-C-L-A-Y uh, at Yahoo. And I used to do it my personal email because it's just a little bit more simplified for people to remember. And uh, for people who are looking for speakers, like I said, the website will be back up. You can always, most people email me or call me anyway. You can email me and send you my CV. You know, all that's going to be on the website. You'll be able to go on and see my writer, my speed. So like I said, we're just bringing it up to date for that. And um, we got some things going on. It's a new book coming out, you know, uh, 2015, but we're going to start promoting the book next year. It's called How Do You Walk in Those Stilettos. <laughs> and most people that have seen me speak or know anything about me know that I wear stilettos all the time. And so everywhere I go, people say to me, how do you walk in those stilettos, you know? And so it has just became a um, marketing tool for me. If I don't wear them, Nicole, people are disappointed. Wow. And I can't wear the same pair that I wore last time. <laughs> so, so, so we're getting a new logo. It's going to be a shoe. So we're just updating some things. We're going to some bigger places. We're going through some bigger doors. One of my biggest dreams, like, you know, you and I talked about, was being global, uh, uh, international. And um, I'm headed there, and I'm very excited about that. And a movie deal, and so, yeah, so Janetta McSwain got some great things coming up for the next few years, and I don't see me coming down no time soon. I am I'm more dedicated than ever. I'm more focused than ever, Nicole. 
I'm excited, I'm grateful, and I can't even tell you the feeling that I feel right now, just the feeling, that burst of energy. It's like that Starbird, the Skittles commercial, where all the Skittles just bursting out. So, yeah, so you can order the book. And uh, a lot of schools are ordering the book for their students, and I never thought that I would be going towards the schools. But a lot of schools are calling me. Um, they're saying we need help with our young girls with, you know, the bisexuality, the suicide, the violence, the pregnancy packs, the STDs. And so I've been doing a lot of schools, a lot of teenage girls, and a lot of schools have been getting the book for the 11th and 12th graders. We don't, we don't give it to the 9th and 10th graders because they're kind of young. But So I've been, I've been doing that now and I've uh, been doing a lot of teen pregnancy. Uh, just left Mississippi, uh, which is one of the biggest states that it is for teen pregnancy. And I said, where have I been? I saw us been locked over here in, in Tyler Springs somewhere. But I've uh, been getting a lot of big agencies and organizations calling me on that. So we're busy, Nicole. we got a yes, lot of work cut out for us. Yes, yes, yes. This we is really true. do. We have yes. a lot of work. And these our young girls are hurting. Yeah. You know, they, um, they're hurting, they want to be loved, they want to be accepted, and we have to uh, love them. You know, put our arms around them and hug them, girl, and save them and, and you know, and, and bring in worth back because they, they don't have it, you know. And so we, we have a battle on our hands, uh, and we have a lot of it now. we got the domestic violence with, the, with our youth. You know, we have the bisexuality, we have the HIV. We have the syphilis and the gonorrhea where the um, penicillin, you know, it's not killing it because it's a new strain, you know. So we have a lot, we have a lot of work. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And we thank God for you that you are on the front line, that you are inspiring, that you're encouraging people, that you're sharing your story, that you are spreading this message of hope and helping to take young people from hopelessness to a place of hope. And you are too. <laughs> well, thank, and thank you. Thank you for, for being on the front line. You know, uh, it's, it's it's a lot of us out here, like you say, that's barking. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's not me that's out here that's running with the big dogs, that's, that's running with the little dogs, that's fighting for our cause. And we know how the economy is. You and I both know. We both know how budgets go. We know how money is right now. And, you know, here we are. You know, I, I smile every time I. I see anything that you send me, I smile. It, it, it inspires me, bubbles me over with joy to see my, a beautiful sister like you out here uh, keeping it moving, keeping, you know, and saving our young girls. Thank you. Thank you for being in this race with me. Um, and we're going to do this together in such a big way. Uh, and just think, we in Georgia. Just think of, uh, we ain't even hit the outcome of the other states and just the countries, you know. So we have a Big job to do, Love and I'm excited to have you to call you, you know, my sister, uh, and to call you my my sister because I have to say this, you know, we're African American young uh, uh, professional women, you know, we're still got a long way to go when it comes to supporting each other. Um, I had to say that because it's the truth, and I'm constantly educating my sisters out here and saying, you know, let's come together, you know. How coming numbers? It is important. So, we have a common it, cause. We do. We have a common cause, and that's to really empower our young people. 
So we are so proud of you here at Diamond in the Rough and a Priceless Perspective, and we um, thank God for you. We look forward to great, great things in store in the coming months and years. I want you to know you always have an open invitation to come on and to share uh, as that well, book comes you. out, as movie deals come out, as you're traveling from, from you don't have to go nowhere country with me, girl. I ain't gonna leave you out. Because you know we gotta we gotta step tall. You know that's right. what this is about. You know yes. it's about education. I want my young girls to know. You know one of the, one of my programs I do is called Girl It Ain't Cute. You know education is cute. It's not cute. You know you're hanging out and you're a 304 like they say and that. You know and smashing and. You know, and doing all this silly stuff and got your booty hanging out and, you know, and don't want to go to school and, you know, I hear fighting and cutting each other. You know what I mean? Right. It's not cute. And no, I want you to know it's not cute. But I'll tell you one thing that's never going to go out of style. i tell you one thing that's always going to be classy and beautiful is having education because at that point you have options. You understand what I'm saying? Right. And when you have options... You become, you have dignity and integrity, and you don't have to do anything that devalues or degrades you when you got options. And that's what I want my young girls to know, that you do have options. You have education. You have resources, like Nicole say. Don't be 33 like I was, sitting in the 19,000 people in a university, afraid at 33 years old, could write a paragraph, Nicole, 33. 33 couldn't, couldn't, couldn't tell you anything about the subject and the verb and how to use it or semicolon, and I'm 43. I don't want anybody, you know, to to go through what I went through. Do it now. I don't care if you fail, go back. I don't care if you didn't pass your test, go back. I don't care if you had a baby, go back. I don't care if it's been five years, get your GED. I don't care what you need to do. Do it because let me tell you something. My education has not only been has not only changed my social economic lifestyle, but it has given me pride, Nicole, joy. My two baby boys can now look at their mama. My twenty four year old son can look at his mama. He's in college. You know, I, and I just want to say that you can start your own family now. Start changing your family. Start with your babies, and you can, don't worry about what you can't change. You know what I mean? But you can start right now. I just want my young girls to know that. I really, really do. And you don't have to be Nicki Minaj and have a big booty and all of that. Come on. Be yourself and love what you got. I promise you. Okay. I promise you from Janetta, you'll, you'll think back on this conversation. You can do anything you want to do. You know what people say to me all the time? How, you know, you must be really smart to have, a, to, become, to have a Ph.D. I said, I'm not smart but I'm smart enough to know what it takes to get the job done. I'm smart enough to know what it takes to get an A. That's what's smart. So I just want to leave that with my young girls. You know, I want to leave that with them and let them know, honey, that the weave, the makeup, the eyelashes, the face, all that doesn't make you. What makes you a lady is that you take responsibility of your actions and that you move forward in your life and that you be the best for you. And that's real talk. It's real. Don't you agree? I do. I do, you. If you can sing, sing. If you can dance, you know, dance. You know what I mean? If you do it, do you, baby. It's a big old world out right here. And don't ever worry about the haters. That's right. They're going to line your, up. That's okay. Make your haters your motivators. Girl, you better say it again. <laughs> but I love you, Nicole. I love, love you. Too. I can't wait to uh, hopefully 
Uh, I'll be at the function and keep doing what you're doing. I absolutely adore you. Thank you, and we adore you and love you, too. We are so proud of you. I know you've got one more semester, and then we will call you Dr. McSwain. And that is a, that is an inspiration for us all. So we are so proud of you. Thank we look you. forward to the great things God has in store. All right, and I'll be coming out a month with you soon. All right, sounds but good. But the years out, okay? Okay, all right. <laughs> because I, the first of the year, we'll be springing back into action on both of us. So I love you, and we're going to talk later out the clock. Can't wait to hear the show. And tell Audrey that I said keep it beautiful, as she always do, and I'm praying that God will send me somebody with her attributes. All right, all right. <laughs> I love you, and thank love you so you much too. for having me. Thank Bye-bye. you, Janetta. God bless. Join the conversation. Visit us online at pricelessperspective.com or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. This show has been brought to you in part by Diamond in the Rough Youth Development Program Incorporated and Gym Makers LLC.